Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Jane Woods is the Executive Director of Girl Start, a nonprofit focused on empowering girls in science, technology, engineering, and math. Shane started her career as a middle school science teacher in Fort Worth, Texas, and over a 17-year career, moved up to department chair and finally led the entire district as the K-12 science director. From 2019 to 2022, Shane was also the senior director of the Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas STEM Center for Excellence. Shane remains active in the formal and informal education community as a highly sought-after, nationally recognized, and award-winning leader and speaker in science education, equity in STEM, and leadership. She has made appearances on several podcasts and enjoys teaching as part of a panel for nonprofits like Play Like a Girl. Shane holds leadership positions in Dallas After School, American Camp Association, and the Texas Girls Collaborative Project. All right, well, before we get started, I just want to explain to our audience how we connected with you. So Juno Jones and the Hazard Girls podcast has partnered with the incredible new book that's coming out this winter, Empowering Women in STEM, Working Together to Inspire the Future by Sonia Mathura. Now, Sonia has compiled an amazing lineup of over 20 authors to contribute to the book. And we at the Hazard Girls podcast are so excited to be able to have each author here with us on the Hazard Girls podcast to talk about her chapter, as well as to share her own personal journey. And I have to just pipe in. We actually are going to be interviewing a few men too. So it's not just her, but in this case, it is. So we're going to be interviewing uh, all of the authors for the podcast. But our very first author is Shane Woods. So Shane, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my honor to be able to to be amongst other superstars who are championing what it means to be in this space and helping more girls get there. They are. These authors are superstars. And I, I think we're going to learn a lot from each and every one of them. And I'm excited to start that process with talking to you. Now, when I read your intro, I was like, thinking, I was thinking to myself that the way your career it has gone, it sounds so vibrant and so rich and just so colorful am I exaggerating you've done you've got there's so much movement going on around children and stem and everything you're working on I it's one of those things that when I graduated from Xavier University in Louisiana with a whole bachelor's degree in biology and chemistry it was not with the idea of hey let's lead a national organization about getting more girls into stem that was not where i was going i was thinking you know medicine and doing the things that i definitely know is needed in this world to make a difference um but always had a thread of wanting to be an, a teacher or an educator and i did have a chance while i was in in school i believe my junior year to do some work in the after school space and help tutor girls and 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 kids in new orleans um, in math and science. And like, I, it, it just came easy to me. I just never knew that that was a foreshadow 
to the career I was going to have for 17 years in Fort Worth ISD. Um, my calling is seventh and eighth grade kids. I adore that age. Uh, many people are scared of them. I, I understand why. Um, it's <laughs> a huge hormone and emotional roller coaster of gumbo happening in all of our lives. But they're still curious enough. They still have that wonder and, you know, that I could be almost anything. And so mm -hmm. if I can help, especially girls figure out like, you don't have to be for perfectionist. You don't have to have all the right answers. Try it out, especially in that, at that level of middle school and high school, like figure out what you don't like. That's just as in, important. Mm -hmm. um, so it's one of those things that I have enjoyed every chapter of my life, if you will. I didn't always know what it was leading me to and building mm -hmm. me up for. The getting a chance to lead the K-12 science space for an entire district, which meant like governing 80,000 kids curriculum of science, you know, helping their teachers be their best. And also, you know, reimagining new schools. And, and when we had a chance to redesign spaces to say, what does it look like for every kid to feel like they belong in this space? So going from that to Girl Scouts, which I was a Girl Scout uh, way back when, um, yet again, just kind of full circle of like, what does it mean to make an impact on a larger scale? Um, to be able to have not only the girls who are operating it within council, but also the youth of North Texas to come to our 90-acre camp to really make sure that they understand that STEM's not always scary, but it's also not always boring. You oh know, my gosh, so, I I I yeah. really have to hear about this camp. It sounds incredible. Oh, let's, oh yeah. I I want to hear about everything, but let's let's talk for a second about your career as a teacher, and then you said you moved on into administration. Um, yeah. So you when you were a teacher during that time, you that was mostly seventh and eighth grade, or that was varied. Yes, I my my classroom was either seventh and eighth grade, depending on the year that I was assigned. Because that stuck with me because I have a seventh grader. <laughs> I have a fourth grader and a seventh grader. So I'm picturing he absolutely loves school. So I'm just picturing how much fun your classroom must have been. Can you, you mentioned something really interesting. You said that you were working on how to set up the actual physical space. What, what was it that you decided to change about the space to make it better for kids in STEM? As you... It's one of those things that we were able to have conversations about, you know, the really newer divergency of kids. Um, it, it wasn't as um, widely known back when I was in the classroom from 2002 to 2005. And then when I got a chance to then become a, a district leader who really helped others figure out the best way to do their room. But it was also about access. We had kids with, in wheelchairs, kids who were, you know, in sports with broken something somewhere. How would they navigate mm -hmm. it? Um, it really is about can every kid see? Can every kid participate? And so it couldn't be those famous just lines and rows of chairs. We need tables in there for kids to be able to do the demonstrations and the, you know, have those STEM experiences. We need um, stools and or chairs. We need spaces that allow those bodies to move and not keep bumping into each one another. So classroom size really does matter in science for safety as well as allowing everyone to have the same experience. Because if you have those rows or there a kid is way in the back and can't hear or mm -hmm. those who unfortunately aren't able to purchase glasses, you know, it's like being aware mm -hmm. of the, the community I serve. And so when I see a kid squinting, move them closer. You know, when I hear a kid that's like, you know, I have a kid that just can't really sit down. 
then you get to sit to the side so that way you're not blocking anyone else, but you're not a distraction to anyone else as well. So mm -hmm. it really is just about making the best environment the kids to learn, because if they already have one reason to check out, as you know, a seventh grader is going to check out. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of reasons to check out. <laughs> oh, so many. So, okay. So in your time, um, then as administrator uh, of this, this, this whole science curriculum, overseeing this whole curriculum, what, what were you recognizing? What were some patterns you were seeing that you realized needed change and needed help? One of the things I even mentioned this in my chapter is that our elementary teachers are not best prepared because it's not on them. They aren't best prepared to teach science. Um, so really looking at, well, then what does that mean that I can do? Because they're already here. So like I can't go back and fix their pre-service, you know, uh, teaching assignments. But what I can do is let them know that you can teach all the subjects through science. You can teach reading. You can have them read about a book, a kid discovering the outdoors, all these kind of things that builds their literacy. You can have them talk about women who have historically made a difference in science, their impact. Yet again, social studies. And of course, math is the language of science. So you're able to do scale models, you know, comparisons, fractions for any kind of science application. So allowing them to know that, especially those teachers who are self-contained, meaning they have to have those kids all day long, um, that they don't have to then just go so segmented to, this is a reading block, this is a math block, this is specials, let me take them to lunch, let me do recess, oh, five minutes left, let's hurry up and do science. Because mm -hmm. unfortunately that puts those kids at a, you know, a, it puts them back, you know, academically right. when they get to the more challenging classes of sixth through eighth grade, and of course, when they get to high school and they're demanding them to already know biology, language, chemistry, physics, and they've never heard of that because from K through fifth, their teacher was scared or they didn't have time because of the test, you know, situation of math and reading being highly, um, you know, recognized as the, you know, the litmus yeah. test of can a kid learn. So it's one of those things of letting them know that it's not scary. Ever, all of us can do kindergarten, kindergarten science. All of us can do fifth grade science. So it's allowing them to not see it as an obstacle, but see it as a tool to teach the kids how to navigate this world, how to have curiosity, how to you know be interested in the world around them and ask those questions. And so once I was able to help them see that, you start seeing it over the years and then you start having miraculous changes in high school because guess what? The kids know about Venn diagrams that allow them to do, oh, also a Punnett square, you know, that allow them to do all the tools that scientists need in order to, you know, communicate our findings. And so it really was yeah. nice to know that I had that kind of impact of, it really does start early and you have yeah. to start early and you have to so, show the importance of that. So sort of putting a progressive education model um, onto, onto, from a science perspective, onto yeah. all of the other classrooms. So that science was really being incorporated throughout, um, as opposed to waiting till the end of the day, everyone's tired, exhausted, run out of time, leaving early that day <laughs> and misses it. And you and you really were able to see a huge leap in science uh, achievement through that. That's incredible. I love that. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited for your chapter to come out in the book so I can learn even more about it. So now that leads me to another question. Um, you've spoken about uh, growth mindset and mm -hmm. as opposed to fixed mindset. And so can you talk a little bit about that and how you encourage uh, teachers and how you encourage students to really foster a growth mindset to forward their achievements in science and just their interest in STEM? 
Of course. And it and it really is tackling it with two prong, you know, going at the kid approach as well as the adult. Um, um many of your humans, especially those who are uh, who most likely took physics because they're engineers or in that engineer space will know that a physics teacher is one of the hardest gatekeepers in the world because they expect a high school student to come in already knowing it all. And they're just there to, to fine tune versus thinking mm. I get the opportunity to teach my passion of movement and force and motion. And, you know, to these kids who've never had a chance to truly have a more sophisticated experience. See how I turned that around immediately? And it was yeah. helping to understand, like, just because a kid hasn't had geometry or algebra two, just because a kid hasn't, you know, mastered all the, the laws of thermodynamics doesn't mean that they can't learn in your class. It's a testament to you to say, I took this kid who didn't think they were ready for physics and now look at them. Even if they're getting 70s, that means they know 70% more than they ever did before they walked into your classroom. And so mm. getting to understand that these little humans are still ready and eager to learn. Um, it's also important to make sure that you're teaching them that it's okay to try something and maybe not get 100%, but you should be proud of yourself for selecting physics, walking into that classroom and not dropping. Um, and that goes for any of the sciences, not just physics, but it's just in my mind that that's typically the hardest uh, group of teachers to get to change from that fixed of like by 16, you should already know all of physics. Well, that's mm. not even possible, but also it's the fact of like, you had to go to school to learn your level of physics. So did you walk into a classroom already knowing it? Did you also realize that you may have had access to things that other kids didn't? Like if your parent was a you know engineer or really didn't master physics, it's also your environment is not their environment. And you had that opportunity to already know those things. But also getting our kids um, to understand like, no one needs you to know everything. Like, of course, a passion and things that you do know a lot about, please share that passion with other people. But it, don't let it, don't self-select out. And unfortunately, we have kids that self-select out because of that fixed mindset of, maybe I'm not good at math. Maybe I'm not good at science. Or they're hearing their parents say that and they're thinking, oh, well, if they're not good at it, why could, why would I be good at math and science? If my dad hated science and math, then maybe I should also hate it because I want to be like dad. Mm -hmm. um, so just letting them know, like, don't set those self-limitations. And, you know, to the famous fail forward, it's okay to try over and over again. You know, giving them examples of those who have, you know, famous laws named after them in science. That was trial and error so many times, but they didn't stop, you know, that car companies continue to improve. Apple is on what the 20th <laughs> version, it feels like. Yeah. So even your first draft does not have to be your last draft. And so just giving them that opportunity to know that we we are, you know, such dynamic humans and we evolve every day. And so allowing yourself the grace to continue to learn, to continue to find the things that you're passionate about, and then to communicate how you did that to others. So mm -hmm. that way they see that there's an example of, oh, you didn't already know that you wanted to go into product development? Oh, well, how did you get there? Oh, that sounds like me. I'm curious. Tell me more. So it's really about just making sure people don't self-select out and that they also don't become gatekeepers to, to, to mm. other people's dreams. Mm, interesting. So that they don't become gatekeepers in terms of select, uh, not encouraging kids to feel comfortable selecting science as part of their career um, or just their interest. Yes. When I was a kid, I first became introduced, I think, to STEM mostly through Girl Scouts. I did 
I did a few years of Girl Scouts. Uh, I remember all my patches. <laughs> you know, I remember those science patches and the different things that we learned. Um, and so I'm so interested to hear about what your time as a as director with the Girl Scouts in your area of Fort Worth. Tell me again the, the name of the full name of the organization. It was a long one. That one is Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. Um, and so, they have a STEM center. The STEM center for excellence, is that part of the Girl Scouts there? Or is it yeah, the whole? Okay. It is. Um, it was a, a thought of how to reimagine one of their existing camps um, called Camp Whispering Cedars that had been gifted to that council um, post-World War II, I believe. So always, the land has always been a part of that council, um, you know, since its inception. And so um, it just needed to be kind of revitalized. And so the um, CEO of Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas, Jennifer Barkowski, went on a journey to really answer the call that came to her from industry saying we need more women in STEM. We're realizing that when we look at different departments, it's, you know, full of men. And we know that there are brilliant women who are capable of adding to our, our business structure to let us solve the world's problems. And so with partners, you know, that come in saying, if you do this, this is what we can do. So that 92 acres was redeveloped with additional buildings to house, um, like a 100, you know, to up to 200 person area for kids to do things such as we've had robotics competitions. There were yeah. um, like science fair nights that allow kids to really just demonstrate what they did at the camp to their families. Um, we did underwater robotics. We have, and you know, we redid a path that allowed for a virtual look into the past of paleontology for one of our amazing nature trails. Um, so it's one of those things that we were able to really apply science in, in camp and allow them to really engage with different types and modalities of science, technology, engineering, and math. There was a, a pool that had outdated itself and had a crack and wasn't really of, of use. And it was on the you know far side of the camp. And when I was asked, what could we do with this? Um, I said, well, what does it look like for this to be our, you know, aquatics and, and botany space. And so it became, a, a it housed a, a smart greenhouse and now has hydroponics and aquaponics and um, raised beds that allow kids to not only, you know, do themes in terms of color, all the senses, you know, also to cook from it and then add that food science. Um, okay. So it's one of those things of it really allowed us to have kids come and experience nature for those who haven't always done that in the Dallas area, but also to see the application of science throughout the camp. Um, and so having partners who invested in those buildings, who invest in coming out as guest speakers and leading events, allowed the kids to understand it um, kind of to what I alluded to, that STEM isn't always boring careers. It's some amazing yeah. careers that for us as adults, we need to make kids more aware of the possibilities of what's out there. And beyond that, see it, be it. It really is about whatever you imagine can actually come to fruition. So just have that that inner, you know, drive to say, I want to fix this UN global goal of, you know, poverty, education, and allow, and I can do that through STEM. I can through that mm -hmm. in a way that allows me to, you know, feel like I'm making a difference. So it's it's one of those moments of like, Yet again, Girl Scouts bring so much richness to those who've been in it, even if it's only a year. Having those kids get a chance to earn their badges, work on those gold awards um, at our space is just one of a kind, you know. So yet again, getting a chance to do something for three years 
to take an idea of what does it look like to reimagine a camp in a, and make it useful all year round. Because that's another thing, it's year round programming. It's also, you know, overnight and, and day camps, but it's also field trips out there for kids who aren't Girl Scouts. So schools will come out with all their humans, girls and boys, and however kids you show up and, and experience a field trip that is very impactful, very engaging, very similar to a kid going to a museum or to the zoo. Um, just another destination for them to see the connection between what they learn in books and how it's applied in real life. Now, you, I think it was, uh, I, I might have read it in the abstract for your book. You were talking about, you know, there are so many STEM programs out there, or there are all different schools, types of schools out there. I'm, I'm right now in the the high sort of in the high school search for my kid for both of my kids um who's starting early with one of them just because we might move them both at the same time so we're looking at schools and you talked about how do you evaluate how do parents evaluate programs to determine if they're right for your child now so a lot of schools they might seem really obvious like they might talk about what you're saying like we have the stem program and our goal is to have girls in there too, and just as many girls. If, if, but if a school's not coming out and saying that, how can parents evaluate programs to determine if they're right for their child? It's it's as simple as number one, asking what is your kid interested in, paying attention okay. to the, the things that your child chooses to do when okay. they have their own free time. It's also allowing kids to have some free time. I know it's a, one of those years that are, we're in the generations of kids are more booked and busy than adults sometimes on the weekend. Okay. But uh, what what kind of video games do they play? What kind of books do they pick up? What do they do when you're outside? What do they ask when you're on family vacations if you have that opportunity? And if you're like, this kid really kind of likes life science. This kid is really into application. This kid really loves art, but the mm -hmm. things that make up the art, they're kind of looking at that. Then figure out what does that translate into a career? Of course, always ask, what do they want to be? Is there, what are the kind of, per what kind of people do they want to grow up to be? How? What kind of difference do they want to make when they become adults um, and then also look at the you know the curriculum opportunities at those schools do they offer advanced math and science courses if that's the way your kid leans um, but the same if your kid is more into humanities do they have the theater do they have the the competitions and then look at what they do in clubs what kind of things they do extracurricular because yet again you want a world well-rounded human hopefully um, and also what kind of opportunities do they have for volunteering? What does it look like for parental and adult involvement in that school? Because it really is about them making the most of those four years, I identifying what they feel comfortable doing and, and being able to do successfully, as well as how are they being able to interact with the world? Do they do field trips? Do they get a chance to have, mm -hmm. you know, experiences that are one of a kind and memorable, uh, but anchoring to let them say, Hey, I did this one time. We saw, you know, hot air balloon come down, but the guy really talked about his passion of, you know, thermodynamics. And that's what I want to go into. Um, <laughs> but also, are they encouraged to work in teams? Look at the classrooms, like actually walk in or at least do, you know, visits to the school. Are the, you know, that's all in a row. Oh, that's not really encouraging dialogue. Um, look at the walls. Our student work displayed. Is there feedback on that student work? Um, is it all A work? You know, kids who get C's, guess what? That's technically called an average. So what does the average kid get, get to do? And do they get recognized or do you only have to be the elite? And then of course, if you can look at their graduating class and kind of hear where are they going? 
Um, are they going to schools that you would hope your child has access to? Are they are those colleges visiting and coming to talk to the kids to let them know what does it mean to be a, a college student? Or for those who go into career and technology, is that seen and spoken of in a way that adds value and dignity? Because we all know in the back, you know, vocational school was for the kids who kind of weren't so smart. Oh my God, my dad is a machinist. He would like he's one of the most brilliant men I know. Yeah. So allowing kids different access points and different on ramps to adulthood. So all that to say, like, know your kid, hopefully, as well as get to know that school and 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 rank them, you know, with your kid and say, so I visited this. Do you see yourself there? Because if they say no, I guarantee you it's not going to be a, a great ride mm -hmm. um, and it's going to make those four years a little more difficult. But also it's also now in, you know, school choice, it allows some kids to have, you know, that that input of like, I want to apply to this school. It's not my neighborhood school but that's the one that's speaking to me and that's mm -hmm. where I need to be. And I, cause that's where my people are. And that is so, I love that. I love that about these new generations of, they are quick to say, this is not for me. This is not mm -hmm. giving me life. And so I think allowing the kid to know like that's their birthright um, to, to make the world, you know, the best for them while they're walking this earth. So why not start with high school? Hmm, interesting. That's great. All, all such great advice. Uh, now you were talking about, how you can help your child to figure out what aspect of STEM maybe is best for them. And I, I found that interesting because a lot of people I talk to might say, parents, I would say, would say, oh, my, a lot of girls, mm -hmm. a lot of girl, parents of girls might say, oh, my, my daughter's not really into STEM. She's, that's not really her thing. She's just not. I would encourage her if she was, but no, she's more into these other things. And now I'm wondering is maybe that ch those children are actually interested in STEM, but they, it's not being pointed out that this is this thing that you're interested in actually is related to STEM and here's why. So how as can we as parents and educators, how can we help families recognize when things are actually STEM and help to move the children in that direction? Because as you talk about, it's empowering for girls to be involved in these things. And it's empowering for them, not just as girls, but as women their whole lives. I think it's yet again, the famous word is awareness. I think it starts with parents who don't know the, the true breadth of STEM. I think that they also have their own limiting definitions of what STEM careers are. And so if they're thinking it doesn't fit into that mold um, and your, your child is like, well, I really do, you know, I'll, I'll use y'all as an example. My child loves fashion. That is what she wants to do. I do not see how that becomes STEM. Um, and it's one of those things of like, but to use technology to design the right shoe, talking about ergodynamics, talking about patterns that can be created through Fibonacci, you know, figures. It's like that right there is still them being able to use technology to engineer a product that definitely has math scales and sizes of, of you know, height, width, and all of that of the foot and utilizing the science of, you know, this is what, how, this is how you manufacture, you know, a certain material. This is why you use rubber versus cork, you know, for mm -hmm. salt. All of that, guess what, was STEM. That that all of that is different ways to apply the STEM mm -hmm. skills that that your you know your your kiddo is interested in, and so I think it's one of those things of we've got to stop thinking everything fits into certain you know buckets. When I heard engineering, I'm of the age of I thought train engineer, you yeah. know, 
kids think of, you know, someone who's designing buildings and you're like, well, that's architecture, but you're close, you know, like mm-hmm. but all of that is still STEM. And I'm one of those people that your child loves the theater. If you've ever seen the behind the scenes of set design, lighting, that is nothing but STEM. So Mm -hmm. allowing them to understand, like, it's not something that a kid has to self-select. I like my math and science. So that's the only type of of dry careers I can do. No, it's so much more um, magical than that. The tapestry of STEM really does touch every career out there. Um, Even if your kid is a great debater, law needs intellectual property uh, lawyers. So like, yet again, them having the understanding of what science needs copyrights and trademarks about allows them to be a better intellectual property lawyer. So it's it's one of those things that I think yet again, removing that gatekeeping, my kids Mm -hmm. not doesn't like that. My daughter's not really, you know, into that. Do you really know that? Or Mm -hmm. she just not, hasn't gotten the experience to show you she likes it. So taking them to the museum, taking them to events such as Girl Starts Weekend Extravaganzas, being able to get them into Girl Scouts or, you know, whatever extracurricular that allows them to kind of see a little more than just, you know, soccer on Saturday mornings. You'll you'll see that your kid probably does like it. And that really goes back to everything you were saying at the beginning of the show about the curriculum and how you can really instill science throughout every aspect of teaching. And now here you're talking about it in real life, too. Um, Now. I want to hear all about your organization, Girl Start Success. Well, Girl Start. So tell me what, how you came to be involved with Girl Start, how it got launched, um, what you're working on now. So Girl Start was founded in 1997. So she's 26 years. She was founded by Rachel Muir, who really wanted to have an organization that allowed girls to know that they belong in science, but also to help them discover that they're good at it, you know, and that it can be fun and that they can still want to be a ballerina, an astronaut, as well as, you know, anything that a kid will will answer when you ask them what they want to be when they grow up. Like all that is not a wrong answer. And so it started really with an opportunity to have kids have these experiences in fourth and fifth grade, believing in starting in early and an after school space already at their school. So they're not having to leave. Um, but also then it expanded to summer experiences and year-round experiences, including a girl in STEM conference where fourth through eighth mm-hmm. grade girls get a chance to come in and hear from the volunteers, uh, uh, typically women who are already doing these amazing STEM careers. For instance, we had them um, understanding the science behind lip gloss. So Black in the Lab came and had the girls do that and learn about both that chemistry. We had a fem- an all-female team of surveyors talking about what does it look like for them to really help construction mm-hmm. sites become, you know, buildings and neighborhoods. And also just allowing them to hear from women doing the job and that their job is fun, that it's fulfilling, that they're also able to have families, hearing their whole humanness um, to allow them to know that even as a fourth grader who is not worried about being someone's partner yet, still knows that I can be a whole human and having a job I love and still travel the world. It's really important. So really about for Girl Start is having that idea of like, this is where I start then I have so much more in my life to continue and to pursue advanced math and science courses, hopefully, because I would like to go into one of these careers that allow me to make a difference. And so we get a chance to do that nationwide. So we're not only in the state of Texas, we're also in Massachusetts, California, uh, Washington, Wisconsin, and a few other states. And we're continuing to grow because we're going where girls need us. Um, and we have partners that, of course, are philanthropic and, and walking in time and treasure to make sure that they're able to invest with us 
into these communities because our programs are free. We have no cost to the girl and their family. Um, so that way that's not a barrier. So she can come to our after school at no cost. She gets a snack. She gets a great lesson that's interactive. And then even sometimes guest speakers that come in and just yet still excuse me, share their story. Um, our summer camps, one week of free summer camp as well, allows them to kind of have a deeper dive into STEM and redefining that. So this past summer, it was pet vet where the kids got to do sutures. They got to design, you know, uh, prosthetics for for animals and just kind of wait, seeing overall. Wait, wait, they literally did sutures? Well, they did them on little stuffed animals, but yes. they used Oh, the okay. Well, yeah, no, but still, you know. <laughs> and they knew what that meant, like not just stitches, sutures and yeah. suturing, excuse me. Um, but also, you know, we do have a building in Austin where it was founded. And so those kiddos get a chance to have paid options. So we do fourth and fifth grade, as well as sixth through eighth grade science camps that allow them to, you know, just get a, 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 an amazing memory that hopefully links to a career that they take on. So it's one of those things that Girls Start really is helping the teachers by extending those opportunities of what they're learning in classroom in an out of school space. Um, and we're just enjoying it. So we get a chance to do some memorable moments such as Smartsheet allowed us to take their space on the McLaren F1 car um, in the Austin um, race. And Lando Norris came in second. I want to say that we helped him cross that finish line in an amazing <laughs> way. But having Girl Start on the front fin of that car really was historical no yeah. woman yet has crossed an f1 finish line but i can say girl start crossed that finish line in a way before anyone else has so having smart sheet believe in our you know our girls and what we are about to spread our message in a way that's global like the yeah. world saw girl start now they might not know what it is but guess what then there was a video made lando norris said our name out loud and if you know it's just one of those things of being in the right place is and being and you know taking advantage of that is also an important um, lesson for girls to understand that you know people see us they see women and they know that we are so valuable to the workforce we are 50 percent of what's on this this earth and so we need to be at, at least in that same ratio in all jobs and in all industries so for the girls to see the jobs behind the scenes of f1 to see women leading different organ you know different parts of that leading the team uh mm -hmm. as a position like that's a woman doing that to keep all of these men in top shape so that way they can perform the fastest, you know, tire exchange ever. So it's one of those things of those girls and myself and my team had a once in a lifetime moment. And so that's what Girl Start is about. Those anchoring yeah. moments that girls can say, I am seen, I am heard and I am capable and I belong. And hopefully they just use that to go and just be brilliant and beautiful and bold. Oh, I congratulations on that. That's what a cool achievement to get Girl Star in the Formula One race and just seen by around the world. Yeah. Um, really cool. Do you have any examples you want to share of what of impact that Girl Start has made on any individuals? I had a chance, matter of fact, that day I happened to be standing by the um car, you know, taking a picture. Um, and a girl came up and was like, I was in Girl Start. And I said, really? She's like, yeah, I got a chance to do not only after school, I did the summer camp. And I mm -hmm. said, that's amazing. I said, what are you doing now? She's like, I'm enrolled at the University of Texas as a biomedical engineer. Wow. I kind of got right choked there. up. Right there. I got choked <laughs> up right there. She is in the moment saying, 
that I, I wouldn't have gotten there. She was, and that's what she said. She continued to say, I never even would have thought of that had I not, you know, done a Girl Start experience. And, I, you know, we of course asked her for um, her story and to send it in to us. But, you know, to, to be standing there by a car that happened to have it, you know, Girl Start on its, you know, fin with me having the Girl Start shirt and that recognition and that smile in her eyes of like, I was in that. Uh, many of us Girl Scouts do the same thing. We're like, you were in Girl Scouts? I was in Girl Scouts. It's about finding that, that you know, that connection to community. And it was so nice to know that yet again, we're already doing it. That's amazing. That's amazing, Shane. Well, Shane Woods, where can our listeners find you? And where can they learn about more about Girl Scouts? We are um, definitely on all the social media platforms, but first start with our website, www.girlstart.org. Um, and we get a chance to celebrate our wins, to tell the people all the amazing things we're doing. If they happen to be in Austin, Houston, Dallas, um, as well as Boston in the Bay Area, we have community events that we would love. So go on our website, yet again, look at our calendar and bring your kids. Most of them are free events. We also partner with others in the community. So we do things at the museums and all of those cities um, and with other community organizations that we walk on up to our table, learn something, learn something with your child. So that way they see you still learning and having aha moments. Um, of course, if people want to find me, I'm on LinkedIn, Shane Woods, um, and would love to connect with those who are really trying to find a, a way to volunteer their time, to give their skill set to an organization. We are 21 Women Strong, and we would love support in PR, communications, and marketing, um, but we would love to have guest speakers. Um, and then those who are so moved to do additional um, time, we would love those to become part of our regional councils and maybe even think about serving on our board. Um, so it's one of those things that Girl Start is only as good as those who pour into us. So we would love for everyone listening to be a part. Shane Woods, author in a chapter of Sanya Mathura's upcoming book, Empowering Women in STEM, Working Together to Inspire the Future. And of course, Shane is the executive director of Girl Start and a wonderful leader in STEM in the Fort Worth, Texas area, and now nationally and even globally. Thank you so much, Shane, for joining us today on the Hazard Girls podcast. My pleasure. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.